You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Thinking Talmudist. Uh, it's so wonderful to be back here at the Torch Center to be with my dear friends and have delicious lunch together and to study a fresh piece of Talmud. We're in Tractate Psachim, 116a on the bottom, and it's a new Mishnah. The Mishnah says as follows, Rabbi Gamliel, Haya Omer, Rabbi Gamliel was known to say, Kol Shalom Omar, whoever did not say, Whoever did not say these three things on the night of Pesach, and this is referring to every year at Pesach, at the Seder, he has not fulfilled his obligation of the Pesach Seder. And what is that? These are those things that you must say at the Pesach Seder. It's interesting that my children, before they go to sleep on Pesach night, I make sure even the littlest, youngest children, I make sure they say the words, Pesach, Matzah, Umar, as the Mishnah tells us here. The Pesach offering, Matzah, and Mar. Pesach, the Pesach offering is brought and eaten. Because the omnipresent passed over the houses of our forefathers in Egypt. Shenemar, as it states in the verse, And you shall say, It is a Pesach feast offering for Hashem, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, and... He smote the Egyptians and he speared our households. So the first thing we need to say is Pesach. The second thing we need to say is Matzah. Matzah is eaten. Al Shuma, because of what? Al Shum Shenigalu Avosenu Mimitzrayim, because our forefathers were redeemed from Egypt. Shenemar, as it states, Vayofu Esabatsek, Asher Hotziu Mimitzrayim, as it states in the verse, and they baked the dough that they took out of Egypt into unleavened cakes, for they could not be leavened since they were driven from Egypt and could not delay. Maror is the third thing that one must say. Maror is eaten. Al-shum shemeru es hamitzrim es mitzrayim. Because the Egyptians embittered the lives of our forefathers in Egypt. Shenemar, as it states in the verse. Vayimoru es And... They, the Egyptians, embittered the lives of the Jews with hard work. So here we have a Mishnah which tells us that we need, according to Rabbi Gamliel, we need to recite these three things on Pesach night. Otherwise, we do not fulfill the mitzvah of the Seder. Pesach, Matzah, Moror. These three things. The Mishnah continues, Behold, Dor, in every single generation, Chayav Adam Liros Atzmo Kiilu Hu A person, every person, is obligated to look at himself as though he personally departed from Egypt. So it's not that someone else, our ancestors, our grandparents and great grandparents left Egypt. No, 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 no. We left Egypt. Me and you, each and every one of us, we left Egypt. And we have to see it as, as such. Shenemra, as the verse states, 
The verse states in Exodus, And you shall tell your sons, your children, on that day, saying, It is because this that Hashem acted on my behalf when I left Egypt. Now, some of you might think, one second, I never left Egypt. What are you talking about, Rabbi? It wasn't me. Well, it was you. That's what we need to understand. Our experience of life is limited to the physical experiences that we have. But are we a body or are we a soul? We're a soul wrapped up in a body. Our soul was there leaving Egypt just like the physical bodies that left Egypt 3,300 years ago. So there's a, a, a discussion as to what is the mitzvah that Rabbi Gamaliel is referring to. According to some, it's the mitzvah of Sipu Yutzies Mitzrayim, of the recounting of the exodus from Egypt. And he teaches that in order to recount the narrative properly, one must include an explanation of these mitzvahs. This interpretation is implicit in Rambam, who states Rabbi Gamliel's halacha in chapter 7 of Hilchos Chametz Umatzah, which discusses the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus. This is the most essential part, is to relive it, to recount the experience. Now, I think that one of the most difficult parts of the Seder is exactly what the Mishnah said now. Yeah, Eating, eating the matzah is not so difficult. Drinking the four cups of wine is not so difficult. Even the bitter herbs is not so difficult. But recounting the miracles and talking about them as if I was the one who experienced this, as if it was me, that, that is something that is very, very difficult for us to, to wrap our existence around. That this was me leaving Egypt. I, again, our souls were all there, and this was our experience, and we have to make it real. Many of our sages would walk around the table with sacks of potatoes over their shoulder, trying to relive the and recount the experience of what it meant to be slaves. Not a simple thing, not something which we can, you know, just casually attain. It's something that needs to be worked on. It's something that needs to be, you need to be creative so that when we're sitting there at the Seder with our children, it's not just the same story that we repeated when we were little school children. Yeah, we said the story of Passover and we say the same thing we heard from our Zaidi at his Pesach Seder and that's it and that suffices. You know, the most sold Jewish book every year, is the Passover Haggadah. You know why? Because the Haggadah is not a book that's written, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, that we recited at our Seder. That's not what it is. Every year, there are new Haggadahs, about a hundred new Haggadahs that are published every single year by prominent rabbis, by prominent thinkers, who are giving a different perspective, making the Seder realistic, making the Seder insightful. I'll just share with you, right here next to my desk, I keep 
my favorite Haggadah. But I don't always use this every year, but I use this with my children a lot, and this is the youth Haggadah, the art scroll youth Haggadah. And the reason for that, and some people are going to say, really, Rabbi, give me a break. This is a, this is a children's book with illustrations. The idea is what you want to do is make it real. Make it real. You have to use imagery. You have to use imagination. Think of what it was walking out of the gates of Egypt, having the splitting of the sea. Like, just smell the smells of the water, of the dry seabed that we were walking on. And what, what, you know, imagine you're by the ocean or you're by the, the beach. It's just like you, you feel that sand in your toes, right? You know what I'm talking about? Everyone, get, get to a place where we can feel that experience and to really bring ourselves into what it was so that it, it doesn't just remain a historic event. It becomes our exodus from Egypt and to realize what it was like with our entire family with all of our children, everyone leaving with all of the riches of Egypt. It's an unbelievable experience. We need to try to do everything we can to make it real, to make it part of our Pesach experience. All right, the Talmud now continues. The Mishnah continues. So, behold, over door, in every generation, Chayev Adam Liros his Atzmo Ki'ilu Hu Yatsim a person is obligated to see at himself as though he personally departed from Egypt. Shenamar, as it states, and you shall tell your children on that day, Lamar, saying, It is because of this that Hashem acted on my behalf when I left Egypt. And the commentaries here explain. In the context of the passage in which this verse appears, the phrase, on that day, refers to a time in, gen- in generations to come when fathers who have not personally experienced the Exodus will relate the story to their children at such a time, which is us at our Pesach Seder, at such a time when the family fulfills the mitzvahs of Pesach, matzah, and more at the Seder, fathers will nonetheless tell their children about the miracles that Hashem did on my behalf when I departed from Egypt. In some texts of the Mishnah, no verse is cited in support of this ruling. Now, we know in our favorite Thinking Talmudist series, we always point out this idea. There is no such thing as the Mishnah or the Talmud giving a statement without backing it up. So you'll always find that when there's a statement given about any specific matter in the Talmud, there needs to be a verse to back it up. There's no such thing as just giving a statement which is not founded, which is not backed up with a source. Okay, now the... Mishnah continues, the Mishnah proceeds to teach that after one relates the story of the Exodus, explaining the mitzvahs of Petzach, Matzah, Mara, and repeats the aforementioned obligation to regard oneself as a departee from Egypt, 
He says the following, Therefore, we are obligated to give thanks, to give praise, to laud, to glorify, to to exalt, to honor, to bless, to extol, and to acclaim the one who performed all the miracles for our forefathers and for us, and who brought us forth from slavery to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to festivity, from darkness to great light, and from servitude to redemption, hallelujah. So let us say before him, hallelujah. And we give praise, and that's when we start singing the praise of the Almighty for the goodness that he has bestowed upon us. So it's in the Mishnah, and that's actually in our Haggadah. So at the end of Magid, which is the longest section of the, where we read all of the uh, historical recounting of our exodus from Egypt and our slavery and the, the plagues and everything that transpired, we say this paragraph is right here in, here you go, here's the paragraph right here from this Mishnah. Okay, and then we say psalms. We sing two psalms thanking Hashem for the incredible miracles that he performs in our lives back then and now. The mission continues. At this point in the Seder, we begin reciting Hallel, but do not complete it until after the meal. The Mishnah records a dispute regarding how much is recited prior to the meal. How much of Hallel is recited prior to the meal? Until where does one recite the Hallel? says, Until a joyful mother of children, which is after the first paragraph, the first chapter of the great prayer of Hallel. says, Until it turns the flint into a flowing fountain, which was referring to the splitting of the sea. And indeed, we follow, we'll go with Beis Hillel, and then we continue, we add another paragraph of the Hallel, till Chalamish Lamayin until a hard rock into a spring of water. Okay, the mission now continues. V'chosim Bigaula. And after relating the story of the Exodus and reciting the aforementioned portion of Hallel, one concludes with a blessing concerning redemption. Rabbi Tarfan, Omer Rabbi Tarfan says, Asher The blessing is as follows. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who redeemed us and redeemed our forefathers from Egypt. And one does not close with the concluding blessing at all. No blessing. Rabbi Kiva, Omer Rabbi Kiva says, Kain Hashem Elokeinu Velokeinu the following is added to what Reptarfon's version was of the blessing. So Hashem, our God and the God of our forefathers, bring us to other approaching festivals and pilgrimages in peace. Gladdened in the rebuilding of your city. And joyful in your service. And may we eat there 
from the offerings of the Pesach sacrifices, Ad Baruch Atashem Gual Yisrael, and he proceeds until the concluding blessing of bar, Blessed are you, Hashem, who has redeemed Israel. So this is how we conclude the Magid. And that is the end of the Mishnah. Okay, so the Mishnah here tells us a number of things. First is the, the commentaries here bring, and that's exactly how we have it here in our Machzer. We have the actual verse, the, the actual blessing that was constructed by the Bal Haggadah, by the author of the Haggadah. And the blessing continues, Asher Yagia Not only that we should bring the Pesach sacrifices, but that their blood will reach the wall of your altar, Lerotzon. For gracious acceptance, and we will thank you with a new song for our redemption and for the liberation of our souls. So what we see here is the awesome experience that the Jewish people had in Egypt is being celebrated on Pesach. Pesach is a very interesting side note here. You know, Pesach is a very is a lot of hard work for Jewish mothers. My wife, my mother, my uh, my grandmothers of blessed memory, they spent not days, not weeks, but months preparing for Pesach in cleaning the home, making sure. I, I'll give you an example. I gave this example yesterday. I'm going to give a different example because this actually happened. So I was we're going through and cleaning up now all the bedrooms and the playroom and all of that, and we're all spending a lot of time cleaning. And, of course, there's the the homiletical understanding of that, that it's not only cleaning the house, our physical dwellings, but also our inner house, our inner, inner workings of who we are, overcoming anger and being more patient. That's also chametz. What is chametz? Chametz is the leavened, which means the inflated. When we get angry, why are we getting angry? We're get, getting angry because we have an inflated image of ourselves. We have an arrogance, and that's what we're trying to get rid of before we get to our Pesach Seder. It's very difficult to go out and appreciate and acknowledge the Almighty in the way that we should when we're arrogant. We need to have a humility we need to have a sense of humbleness in front of the Almighty. And then we can thank Him. And then we can appreciate what it is that He did with did for us and, and thank Him for it. So when we talk here in our... Oh, so I was telling Mil telling you a story. So yesterday I was going through, uh, you know, the playroom and I find some, you know, the kids have friends over. My children know at least. I'm not saying that they're always following the rules, but at least they know that we don't eat out of the kitchen. You eat in the kitchen and that's it. You don't take your food with you to play games with your friends. But sometimes they have friends over and their friends do that. And there I am cleaning the playroom and cleaning it thoroughly, every single toy, every single game, every single uh, board game, every single crack and crevice is being cleaned and vacuumed and washed down and rinse down, and everything is, is looking very, very clean. If you want to come visit us, this is the time where you'll enjoy a very, very clean home. And in the process of cleaning, I see this bag, and it's a bag of like these nibs. Are you familiar with these nibs or these like Twizzlers type, type candies? 
And I said to my son, what's this doing here? What's this? He says, no, this is just some candies. I said, do you realize that this is, this is 100% chametz? He says, flour, enriched flour. Flour is chametz. Not flour itself, but flour mixed with water. How do they activate the flour with water? You've got to be kidding me. I was cleaning my study, and I found some other items in my study that were not kosher for Passover. Brought them into the kitchen, into the area that's going to be sold to a non-Jew. And for those of you listening uh, who have already gotten 23 minutes into this podcast, uh, I can already tell you that in our Living Jewishly podcast, we talked about the laws of searching for chametz and selling chametz, the sale of a chametz to a non-Jew, the importance of it being a a real sale, not a joke. It's not a joke. It's a real thing. But the idea is that you have to have all of the chametz in one area so that when this non-Jew decides he's going to come visit your house and eat of this chametz, he should have access to it. He should be able to find it. All right, so now back to our Mishnah. So the Mishnah here is telling us all of the fundamental pieces of the Seder so that we can actually fulfill it. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't do the Manashtana. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't talk about the four sons. You will fulfill the Seder if you don't sing Dayenu. You will not, however, fulfill the Seder if you don't say Pesach, Matzah, Umara. Pesach is referring to the offering, the Paschal offering. Matzah is the matzah that we eat, and Moror is the bitter herbs, because these represent our exodus. These represent, these are the reminders to relive and recount the experience that we had in Egypt and our redemption from it. So now the Talmud continues. The Talmud now is going to start asking questions. What's the first question the Talmud's going to ask? Where, what, what are you talking about? Where do you get this from? Says the Gemara. The Gemara adds to the Mishnah's text of the Haggadah. Amar Rava, Rava said, One is required to say the verse, and he took us out from there. That's what the Talmud says. Where does that come from? That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 29. On the night of Passover, one must recite the verse. And he took us out from there. Emphasis on us. He took us out from there. For one must act as though he himself has been taken out of Egypt. And we learn this from the verse in Deuteronomy. The Gemara discusses the obligation, Topar Rabban Gamliel in the Mishnah, to explain the mitzvahs of Pesach, Matzah, and Mara. Amarava, Rava said, Matzah, Tzarech, One must lift up the Matzah and show it to the Seder companions, to the participants, when reciting this Matzah that we are eating is the Matzah that we left Egypt with. And one must lift up the Mara and show it to the assembled when explaining the mitzvah of Mara. What was Mara? Mara was the bitter, bitter work, the bitter, bitter toil. It was more than just that. It was the bitter lack of freedom. The bitter that we were not able to serve the Almighty. You see, we have unbelievable freedoms right now, here in this country, in this great United States of America, and we have to be so 
grateful for the privilege that we have to be living in this great country. It is the only country in the history of the world that has not persecuted the Jews for observing their religion. The only country. The British, the French, the Romans. You name the country, the Russians. They persecuted the Jews for, for following their faith and for not removing God from their lives. The commitment, the dedication that people had to their Judaism is just unfathomable. It's unfathomable. When I was in, in Belarus, this is about uh, 23 years ago, went to Belarus and I was asked to lead the congregation in Minsk. The chief rabbi of Minsk at the time uh, was not able to be there. His wife was, I think, due any minute and she did not want to have a baby in Belarus. She wanted a baby to be fully formed and uh, not mutilated, God forbid, by some communist doctor. So she, so they, they left it like a couple of days before, before Rosh Hashanah. And they, I got an emergency phone call. I was in Lakewood, New Jersey at the time. And they asked, can you please go? You be the chazan, you blow the chauffeur, you lead the, con- the community, you do the, the community meals, everything for the holiday. I called my father. My father's like, book the tickets, we're going. So we both went and it was, it was a magnificent experience. One of the people we met there was an individual, an older man, very old man. He was like the gabai of the shul already for years. And he said the most fascinating story. He said that his wife was totally bought into communism. And she said to him, don't you dare, when their baby was born, don't you dare give a bris to our baby. Because anyone who did so would be thrown into prison. She didn't want her husband thrown into prison. So she said, don't do it. He said, no problem. You have my word. Not going to do the bris. So he said that on the eighth day, he told his wife, you know, you're tired. Why don't you go lay down? I'm going to take the baby for a walk. He takes the baby for a walk. He goes to the neighboring building, goes up to the rooftop, and he turns to heaven, and he says, Hashem, how can I forsake your mitzvahs? How can I forsake today being the eighth day of my baby's life that I not give him a bris? And he gave him a bris there on the rooftop of the building. He says, the only one who can see him was the Almighty. And of course, when he comes home, his wife's like, what's this? And he says, I have no idea. All I did was take the baby for a walk. Can you imagine how many of us would have the strength to do that, to be so committed, so dedicated, to fight for the freedom to serve Hashem? This is something that the people in Egypt didn't have. They were slaves, like we learn in Parshas Mishpatim, in middle of ex- in middle of the uh, the book of Exodus, that if a slave says, "I want to stay with my master," we we drill a hole in his ear at the doorpost by the mezuzah. Why? That same ear heard that we should be servants to God, slaves to God now wants to be a slave to another master? You didn't listen well enough. We're going to drill a hole in your ear. 
The Jewish people wanted to be servants of the Almighty. And they couldn't. They were servants to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were beating us. We had no time to think. Like the Ramchal teaches us in Misilat Yisharim, is that being busy is like the Pharaoh. Being too busy. Because when you're too busy, you don't have time to think. The Ramchal tells us that was Pharaoh's plan. Pharaoh's plan was he knew the Jewish people were smart. The Jewish people were cunning. The Jewish people were strategizing. How do we get out of Egypt? When Pharaoh realized this, he says, there's only one way we can stop the Jews. And that is, if we keep them so busy, they don't have time to think. So perhaps that's also part of our exodus. Perhaps that's part of our Passover, is releasing ourselves from being in bondage of busyness. I'm not talking about business, career, all of these hobbies that people have. It's great, great for people to have an outlet. It's great for people to have a livelihood. But not to be totally consumed where we cannot serve Hashem properly. Because that's, that's exactly what Egypt was. Mitzrayim comes from the word Metzar, which means to be locked up, to be, to be Atsur, which is someone who's in prison. We're locked up, we're imprisoned. Yes, Shabbos, like you mentioned. Shabbos is exactly that. It's getting us out of that mindset of slavery. We're not slaves to anything except for the Almighty. Hashem, we're here to serve you. That's it. And not allowing us to get into the routine of thinking. That's why Shabbos is every seven days. It's not every 14 days. It's not every 21 days or 28 days. No, 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 no. It's every single week again and again and again to remind us and to break that routine where we might come to think that we're here to serve ourselves, to serve our own interests instead of serving Hashem. And this is the magic of Shabbos. Shabbos brings us, grounds us. It brings us back to that reality. We need, we need to remember and recognize that it's all a gift from Hashem. It's all about living in the world where we have clarity. Now, Pesach is a super booster for that. It's the Shabbos of all Shabbases. So now the Talmud continues, and the Talmud says, Omar Rava, Rava says, but one need not lift the meat when explaining the mitzvah of Pesach. And not only is he not required to raise the meat, but by doing so, he would give the appearance of eating consecrated meat that was slaughtered outside of the temple. So we don't lift up the shank bone. Not only is one not required to lift up the meat when explaining the mitzvah of Pesach, but doing so actually makes matters worse, for it suggests that the animal from which the meat came was consecrated while alive as a Pesach offering. And therefore, we have to be very careful. The matzah we raise up, the marrow we raise up, the shank bone we leave right there, we don't raise it up. The Gemara segues into a discussion of whether a blind person is obligated to recount the story of Exodus. 
Omar Rav Acha Bar Yaakov. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov said, Suma Potter Melomar Hagada. A blind person is exempt from reciting the Hagada. Ksiv Hacha. It is written here regarding the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus. Ba'avur Zeh. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of this, of Zeh. And it is written there in the passage of the rebellious son. Benenu Zeh. This son of ours is wayward and rebellious. Just as there, the term of Zeh implies the exclusion of a blind son, of a blind parent, here too, regarding the mitzvah of relating the Exodus, the term this, Zeh, implies the exclusion of those who are blind. The Gemara challenges this. And the Gemara asks, Aini, is it so that blind people are exempt from recounting the Exodus? But Maremar has said, I once asked the rabbis of Rabbi Yosef's academy, who was the one that recited the Haggadah in Rabbi Yosef's house? Amru, Rabbi Yosef. And they, they replied, Rabbi Yosef was the one. Manda Amar Agadata Beirav Sheshes, and he asked, "Who was the one who recited the Hagara in Rav Sheshes's home?" Amar Amru Rav Sheshes. They said Rav Sheshes was. Now, if a blind person is exempt from the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus, how did the disciples fulfill this obligation by listening to the Hagara recitals from Rav Yosef and Rav Sheshes, who were both blind? The Gemara answers. Kasavri Rabbanon, the rabbis told that matzah bizman hazeh, the Rabbanon. Nowadays, matzah, and therefore the recounting of the Exodus, is only a rabbinic obligation. For the reason Rav Sheshis and Rav Yosef could enable others to discharge their Haggadah obligations, however, because of their blindness, Rav Yosef and Rav Sheshis were not themselves biblically obligated to recite the Haggadah. The Gemara counters, It follows by implication that Rav Acha Bar Yaakov holds that matzah nowadays is a biblical obligation. Now, obviously, we know this is a discussion in the Talmud. And if you just listen to part of this podcast or video recording, you'll think that, uh-oh, it's not a biblical obligation. It is a biblical obligation. This is a discussion that the Talmud is having. The Gemara answers, Kasavri called the Takun Rabbonon Ke'en Diorasa Takun. Rav Acha holds that any law that the rabbis enacted, they enacted the manner of biblical law, in the manner of biblical law. On the assumption that Rav Sheshes and Rav Yosef agree that a blind person is biblically exempt from reciting the Haggadah, the Gemara asks, Lord of Sheshis, Lord of Yosef Nami, but according to Rav Sheshis and Rav Yosef as well, Havadai called the Takun Rabbonon Takun. It is certain that any law that the rabbis enacted, they enacted in the manner of biblical law. It means the rabbis can't just make up laws. We've said this a thousand times. The rabbis cannot and do not make up laws. What do the rabbis do? The rabbis take the biblical teachings and apply them to practical law. To answer the challenge, the Gemara reenacts, uh, sorry, recants its assumption holding. Now, 
that in the view of Rav Sheshus and Rav Yossi, a blind person is not biblically exempt from reciting the Haggadah. And as for Rav Acha's recitation of the passage of the rebellious son, that the word this, ze excludes the blind, the Gemara counters as follows. Now, is the analogy correct? Can the word this written vis-a-vis recounting the Exodus be compared to the word this written vis-a-vis the rebellious son? It is understandable that there, in the latter passage, we expound to exclude the blind. For since the Torah could have written he, meaning who, this person is our son, but instead the Torah wrote, this, our son, this is our son, we derive, therefore, that it is for this exclusion, it is for the exclusion of the blind, that the word this comes to teach us. But over here, regarding this experience of Egypt, if you would not write the ze, what would, what would you write? Indeed, there is no alternative to this formulation. Thus, because of this comes not to exclude the blind, rather, what is it saying, because of this, it's referring to the matzah and mar that this verse is referring to. So it's not referring to the individual, it's referring to the matzah and mar that a person is pointing out, because of this, we left Egypt. So just to put it together here, the Torah obligates us to commemorate the exodus from Egypt by talking out the story of our exodus, not only to our children, but to ourselves. If a person is living alone in their own home, if they're having a Seder alone, they have to say it out, out loud, as if there's someone else sitting there and they're talking it out. That's the obligation. The obligation is for a person to talk out the story of the exodus. Part of that story is pointing at the matzah, pointing it out, holding it up, and saying, here, this matzah is the matzah we took out of Egypt, not this physical one, but this concept, this idea, this performance of the mitzvah. This mar, this bitterness, is what we experienced. Because what does the matzah represent? The matzah represents that the Jews hastened to leave. They didn't have time to waste. They didn't have time. They didn't have time to think. God says, now, boom, out, leave Egypt. This matzah represents that. The mora represents the bitterness that we experienced in our slavery. That's what it represents. And the shank bone represents the offerings that we brought there as well. So, yeah, this is all biblical. This is a biblical commandment for us to recount this, to tell it to our children, to all of those assembled around our Pesach Seder, and to hopefully inspire them to ask questions, to talk about it. Because the more we talk about it, the more you talk about the exodus from Egypt, the more praiseworthy you become, the more lucky you are in the feeling 
of appreciation and gratitude to the Almighty for the miracles that he's done for us, you suddenly realize that, wow, Hashem does so much for us. And if a person does not spend the time giving gratitude and giving the appreciation that is required for anything in life, not only for the exodus from Egypt. By the way, this is a lesson for everything. You want to be happy in your marriage? Acknowledge and appreciate your spouse. And the more you appreciate, the more you will love. The more you take for granted, the more the love becomes something which is not special anymore. And this is the amazing gift we have in the Pesach Seder. We have the gift of being able to go stop what we're doing and appreciate and talk out in as many details as possible the gift of our exodus. That is the greatness of the Pesach Seder, to stop what we're doing and realize how many miracles we have, not only on Pesach at the Seder, not only our exodus from Egypt, but how many miracles we experience every single day and we're able to recount them. And this is just a little glimpse. Look at that great experience that we had in the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea and our survival for 40 years of the desert without any food, without any vegetation. And look how that reflects to our life every single day where we have our own exodus every single day. We have challenges We have things that come our way that are difficult and Hashem guides us through it. And we become stronger and we become become better. That is our story. The story of the Jewish people is that we're never on a high for too long. We're down in the dumps and we get brought back up to the top of Mount Sinai. And we're back in the dumps and we get brought back up to the land of Israel. And this constant cycle of good And challenge is an amazing gift that Hashem is giving us so that we can always connect to Him on the deepest and highest level possible. And that's what we're asking from the Almighty. We're asking, we're saying, Hashem, please give us the ability to live with that reality. Give us the ability to live with that appreciation. Give us the ability to recognize every single day that you are our King. You are our Master. You are are the one we're serving and that we're not serving anyone else. We're not serving our jobs and our career and our money and our materialism and our fashion and whatever it is that we're obsessed with. That's not what we're here to serve. We're here to serve you, Hashem. Hopefully, we'll all merit that this Pesach won't be in our own homes. This Pesach will be at the Temple Mount. Yeah, it's just a week and a half away. It'll be in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Get your bags ready. United Airlines, here we come. We fly direct from Houston to Jerusalem in our rebuilt temple. And we'll be able to actually bring the Paschal offerings. We'll be, be able to sprinkle that blood on the, on the altar. And we'll be able to live a life that is filled with a closeness, with a relationship to, with Hashem. And we won't have any hesitations. We won't be like the slaves who are so busy they don't have time to think. But rather, we'll have the presence of mind. And this presence of mind comes from spending the time appreciating 
what it is that we have. The more we appreciate, the more real the relationship becomes. Hashem should bless us that this should be a Pesach back in Jerusalem with the rebuilt temple speedily in our days. Amen.